goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. It is all right. It is quite late in the evening. I appreciate y'all all coming in, and yeah, we're back with another episode of Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. I am your host, who is in desperate need of a haircut, and Aloe, Jared Palmgren, and on the other side of me is the host with the most, Xavier Hood. Xavier, how you doing tonight, man? Oh, we're doing good. Same here with the haircut. It's about the time. <laughs> I don't know, but um, see, this is why you guys need to watch on YouTube because you'll see that my hair is getting exceptionally long. It's actually behaving pretty well tonight, but... See, I just threw on a hat. I was like, look, I, it's been a long day. <laughs> Let me just throw on the hat. Oh, yeah, I got you. I got you. I, I was uh, with my family this past weekend uh, for some Easter stuff, and uh, let's just say I was looking at all the pictures that we took, and I look like a mess. I need a haircut desperately. But we're not here to talk about haircuts. We are here to talk about college football fantasy. And we got a lot of good stuff for you guys today. We are going to uh, have a great announcement coming up here in just a second. We're both very excited about it. We have, uh, we're going to go through some transfer portal news with a couple of transfers we want to talk about. Um, we're, and then oh, we're also going to um, talk about a little bit the two drafts that Xavier and I took part, took part in recently. We're going to kind of compare and contrast our teams, talk about our different strategies and such. And then from there, we'll go on to the, we'll be on the bulk of the show in which we're going to talk about some sleepers, Xavier and I. Um, just some players that we really think should be out there, people should be talking about. So um, Xavier, you got anything else you want to add there? No, you got it all down packed. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So before we move on to the bulk of the show, y'all make sure you like, subscribe, do all that good jazz that you guys know how to do. If you guys really want to help us out, Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star reviews. Those are fantastic for getting the word out about us. And I'm just saying, if you leave a five-star review that includes a question in the review, pretty good chance that that question might be answered in a future episode. So we'll see how that goes, I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So, with all that, let us move on to this big announcement. So, Xavier, if I were to go back to, like, six-year-old you, and I told you that you're going to Canton one day, would you be excited? Oh, man. <laughs> ah, man, I wish I had those type of dreams, though. I would have probably been thinking about the Basketball Hall of Fame. That was my first love. But if you told me I was going to Canton, Ohio, oh, man, I'd be immortalized forever. That's that's historical right there. Well, we are going to Canton. Unfortunately, we won't be immortalized in the Hall of Fame, but we are going to be a part of the Fantasy Football Expo. I, it's in Ohio, so I have to add the V in front of it. Um, we're both very excited about this. Uh, John Loud, the Gridiron Scholar. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at GridironScholar91. He invited us to be a part of this in order to kind of expand our brand, and we are both very, very excited about this. We are going to be part of the King's Classic League, in which we are going to do a live draft at the uh, Fantasy Expo. We're going to be there. We're going to meet you guys. It's going to be a great time. I'm very excited about it. Xavier, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I'm excited as well. Uh, definitely a great trip to look forward to. Get to talk shop with a lot of leading experts in the industry. Get to see how there's, uh, get some of their knowledge, pick their brains, see how they're drafting, how they're looking at games. Yeah, definitely it's going to be a great experience because especially for, uh, well, this isn't our first rodeo with fantasy, but with an experience like this, this definitely will be able to broaden our scope and maybe get us in some more leagues to where we could just dominate. So oh, yeah. Great. Well, I'm, what I'm excited about this is that it'll give us a great opportunity to expand just the entire brand of college fantasy football. Because surprisingly, I it's, it's like this equation in my head where it's like, College football is huge. Fantasy football is huge. Why are these two not together like they should be? And to me, this is the perfect opportunity for us to get out there, actually make an opportunity to expand this brand, let people know that this is a, this is a thing that is out there and you can get involved in. And you just need to listen to experts like us and it isn't as hard as you might think. Yeah. So yeah, we are both very excited about this. And so, yeah. Uh, with that exciting announcement out of the way, we'll go ahead and move on to the two mock drafts that we did. And Xavier, I'll go ahead and you're on the right. I'm on the left. I'll let you go ahead and explain your draft first. Yeah, so me and Jared had two completely different drafts with me being blessed with the first pick and Jared being blessed with the great Mr. Irrelevant pick of the last pick of the, his draft, respectfully. And with my first pick, I feel like it's just been uh, common knowledge now that Malik Willis is the best fantasy prospect in college football at the moment. So there was no, it was just no thought to it at all. And with uh, our, my draft was a little bit uh, different in the, uh, I would say the stats are, hmm. yeah. because it was five points per touchdown. In a per PK. passing touchdown. Yes. So I was like, well, even though Malik Willis is not passing that many touchdowns, it doesn't matter. That man is still getting me a lot of rushing touchdowns along with passing touchdowns, so it doesn't really adjust my skill that much. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, definitely went off of that. And with the first pick, it is nice to have that first pick because you get the best player available. But also, you have to wait so long again for your turn. So I'm just sitting there waiting to see, like, all right, should I go running back? Should I go receiver? And... So Jared did his draft first, and I, I, I didn't see initially, but I, I was hearing rumblings from him that wide receivers are going early. So I was like, well, mm -hmm. maybe I'll get one wide receiver off the board and maybe go running back. But, man, that first round, after the first three picks, you know, if you see Spencer Rattler gone, Sam Howell, or B. John Robinson, you're just like, well, quarterbacks and running backs are about to fly off the board, so might as well just stack up a receiver to bulk up that room. Mm -hmm. So I went back to back receiver because I knew I could still get some good value of running back later on, even though they probably weren't like, you know, maybe top five running backs that I feel like mid, uh, I feel like mid level picks, like the, the fifth, sixth, seventh picks are usually like a sweet spot in a draft. Mm -hmm. But with me being number one and having to wait so long, I was like, well, let me just get like as much value as I can out of the way. And then like evaluate it as I keep on going down and see how long I can wait on things. So as you can see, I got Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, projected to be – he had a great season last year, projected to do a lot more this year, especially with K.J. Jefferson as his quarterback. We'll see how that turns out, but it's, I'm hearing good things out of camp. Romeo Dobbs out of Nevada, great year, number one receiver uh, with Carson Strong. So it's – and Cole Turner, that's who I also have, but I'll get to that later. But I, I knew I could get Kevin here. I, I waited on Kevin Harris, great South Carolina product. I wasn't turned away by uh, – 
the running back, uh, the running back under him. I've, his name eludes me, Jared. You know his name, uh, Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd. I wasn't, I, I wasn't straight away about him returning back because I was like, I feel like Kevin Harris has solidified the amount of reps that he's probably going to get for the season. Like he solidifies that number one back. I understand that Marshawn Lloyd can still come in there and get reps and show flashes, maybe get up, maybe a hundred yard game, maybe some receiving yards, but Kevin Harris has that locks. Then I decided to hop on the tuggle train with Jared and some other people in the industry after seeing what <clears> it is do. the tugboat, the tugboat, the tugboat, the tugboat. I am all aboard that ship. I will be the first mate of the demonstrate Tuggo. I was like, I feel like he's a great back, uh, definitely for a great a, a Mac or running back. So mm-hmm. I was like, let's get that value there. Even though there were still some good uh, options available, I was like, I feel like for the amount of games that he played, which is only like five or six, if I'm not mistaken, three, three games, and he played he three games, up a lot of yards per game. So mm-hmm. I was like, I, I need to, I need to hop on this tugboat as soon as I can. And the pick I'm really excited about was uh, Jaden Wally out of Mississippi State. Now, a lot of people are starting to – he's starting to climb up some draft boards now. I, I watched him all see well, I didn't watch him all season, but I heard rumblings. And then after his uh, – after the Mississippi State versus UGA game, I was sold. I, I said, this kid is special. Then I looked at the stats, and I was like, yeah, he's their leading receiver as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So definitely with him and Will Rogers coming back next season, it's only going to go up from there. Now – I couldn't believe that I could get Jared Broussard from Colorado in the seventh round. I was like, how did this man slip and fall into my laps? There's a, a, I was, I understood. I was like, I could, you know, go another QB, get a better QB at the time. Uh, but I was like, no, I can't pass up on this option. There were some other players that I were thinking about, but at that point I was just taking best available because I just wanted to boost, uh, bolster up my room because when I don't blame you one bit. With uh, teams where they have Isaiah Spiller and Tyler Goodson, and I'm just like, I right, oh man, those those are gonna be some tough teams to. And Jalen Berger, I'm just like, all right, you you have too much. I think it. To compete. I think it personally solidified your starting running back room because you could be wrong about Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd could steal that job for him. We could both be wrong about Demontre Tuggle, and for some reason he just falls off the map. I don't think you're going to be wrong about Kevin Harris, Demontre Tuggle, and Jarek Broussard. You will have two solid running backs out of that group. And I think you, it was absolutely the right decision for you to take Broussard there. Yeah. And then the next round I went, my, I had to go QB. And I originally, I had the plan of going Michael Penix Jr. Because I was like, I like what I'm seeing. I wanted to lock, I wanted to go next round where I can get Ty Freifogel uh, when I go back to back. But I wasn't able to because I was sniped. As we all know that it's always like there's always at least one snipe in a draft or you may see more than one from different teams and different uh, people that are drafting. But I was on the receiving end of that snipe. So I was like, I need a QB. I need somebody reliable. And Miles Brennan started off the season very well before his injury. So I expect to see the same thing. I, I have a personal love for Max Johnson and what he did to Florida as a Bulldog fan, but also from a college fantasy uh, fan as well to where I'm just like, you put up more than 200 yards you seem to be improving i it can only go up from here so whatever ed orgeron decides on who's the starting qb i'm all for it but i i feel like it's pretty much the consensus from the lsu camp and lsu fans that miles brennan probably has that job solidified i'll say i'll say two things here first of all i'm gonna laugh at you because you made fun of me for taking miles brennan in the seventh round and then in your draft you you, you take him in the eighth round which i don't I think there's that much of a difference but 
Something that'll make you happy. I've actually heard a little bit of rumblings outside of the LSU camp, not necessarily the LSU fan base, but the LSU camp that Max Johnson is currently getting some uh, runs with the ones right now. Yeah. So I know, I know you'll be happy if you get proven right come the fall. So I'm just letting yeah. you know that right now. But also, I didn't draft him. So that's true. <laughs> I don't know how much faith you got draft, there. I'd be running to the waiver wire and be like, all right, Max Johnson, Max Johnson, buying the stock now. I knew it. Oh, yeah. All right. But, uh, so... After that, I went tie profile, Tion Delard, another Mac. And then, oh, man, this, I, I really appreciate this run I had to where I went tight end. I got the, be- I got the best tight end available. That It feels like it's the consensus right now that it's Cole Turner. You can, you can maybe have a discussion or a debate with some a few other people that may have uh, people higher. But for what he produced last season, I think he's definitely the number one. He's mm-hmm. doing it at a receiver, uh, close to a receiver rate. And then after that, I needed a QB, so I waited my turn and got JT Daniels, which I, as a Georgia fan and, like, watching Georgia football religiously and seeing our offense move in the right direction, I think JT Daniels is definitely going to make that leap to where Georgia's going to become not a pass-heavy team, but definitely a more balanced team, like, comparable to a Bama or a Florida last year. And then I had to double dip because – People were going tight end. It was a nice little tight end run for about seven picks, but then it started fading away. And I was like, well, Sean Dykes is still on the board. Sean Dykes is not is is, is not just somebody you just pass on. Like I I I, I did I probably did out of spite a little bit just so nobody else could have him and be like, oh, you missed out on a great tight end just to show it in your face. But I was like, there's no way I could pass. I mean, him. you're again, like I would probably knock you if you, ha- if you had like a weaker wide receiver room or a weaker running back room, but you're both of your running back rooms and everything were solid. So I, I saw no reason not to take Sean Dykes there and just solidify that tight end spot. Cause like I said earlier with your running backs and everything, you could be wrong about Cole Turner. You could be wrong about Sean Dykes, but I highly doubt you're going to be wrong about both of them. Yeah. And then towards the end of the draft, uh, I just a little bit more research. Well, uh, new new information came out before I made the TJ Pledger pick that he's not running with the ones. But I still believe for what he did at Oklahoma that eventually uh, I feel like maybe it's more of like he's just not used to the scheme and the system yet. So once he gets acclimated to that, because he has the talent to definitely run with the ones. And I think he could produce at a high rate. Now, what I really want to talk about where everybody seems to be really high on one Arkansas State wide receiver, and that's Corey Rucker, because he had the amazing game where he had like nine receptions over 200 or 300 yards. 300 yards. So that's great and all, but that was, if I'm not mistaken, his only big game. Everything else was that was pretty mediocre. I think he had another 100-yard game or two down the stretch. but. Okay. That was but, that was the one that everybody like points to. It's like this could yeah. be his ceiling. I just knew Jeff Foreman definitely for the 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 last three to four games straight hundred yard games. I was like, you've shown consistency. You seem to uh, you know got acclimated with the quarterback and definitely are able to move on to next year. So with Jonathan Adams Jr. Uh, departure departure <laughs> departing for the NFL draft, Corey Rucker and Jeff Foreman seem to be a dynamic duo in the making. I don't think one person is going to, you know, take all the reps like a Jonathan Adams Jr. I think it would be a nice split wide receiver room to which, you know, each, either one, it could be like an Ohio State situation where you have a Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson where either one can go off for a game, but they're both going to get you a good value at uh, their position. That's true. And I, the only thing I would kind of say there is we're still not entirely sure what – 
kind of offense they'll be running because Blake Anderson was fired and has moved on to Utah State and they hired Butch Jones in his place. And so it could be that, again, I'm not entirely sure what kind of offense Butch Jones is going to run there. I haven't done the research on Arkansas State there, but if you do see less passing attempts, it could hurt both Corey Rucker and Jeff Foreman's fantasy in the future. But also, you got him here in the 15th round, so I'm not going to knock you too much there. Yeah, and I just I just look at the personnel. I'm just like, well, Arkansas State doesn't have the greatest running back room in the world anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was just I hope Butch Jones will realize, hey, I have two good players here, good playmakers here. I need to use them. And I just follow, like, an old philosophy of, like, let's run the football, which, you know, it can work in some leagues, but I mean, in some conferences, but – Things are changing now. Defenses are getting smarter. Offenses are evolving. Hopefully, Buzz Jones mm-hmm. is on the, the trend of that. Now, my last pick, which I was surprised because I was the very last pick of my draft. I got Chris Ottenbell, uh, Ottenbell out of Minnesota. Excuse me, uh, excuse me for the mispronunciation. But, yeah, with the departure of uh, Rashad Bateman, it just seems like he, uh, Bell, and there's another receiver, his name eludes me at the moment, are poised to be next up and – I feel like the consensus among Minnesota fans and some I think of the it's Dante talk, Wright. He just transferred in from Texas A and M. I might be confusing here for somebody else, but I think it's Dante Wright. Yeah, Dante Wright and the, well, Dante Wright is at Colorado State, I believe. Or there is a Dante no. You're thinking Dante. Who am I thinking of? All right, you you keep talking. I'm going to research this real yeah. quick. But Almond Bell, uh, Minnesota, definitely it seems to be poised for that number one. There are there is a transfer coming in. There are, was an established receiver. But I remember the Minnesota coach saying that this is the first time he's dealing with a younger receiver core. So at least with Ottman Bell, he'll have a, a little bit of experience, but not as much. But Ottman Bell knows the uh, system, and I feel like he, he'll he be able to thrive in it, knowing uh, what he did from last season. Dylan Wright. Dylan Wright is the, is the receiver I'm thinking of. So I wasn't too far off. But yeah, you're right. Dante Wright's Colorado State. My bad. Yeah. Well, now I'll kick it over to Jared and see what he did with his draft, with his situation of being last pick. I yeah, right. so I'll, first I'm going to say I'm shocked that Chris Ottman Bell was the very last pick in your draft. I am shocked at that. I don't like, dude is a fantastic receiver. Um, I think he's going to make a big jump this year with uh, Rashad Bateman being uh, with Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, all of them being gone now. I think he's poised to be that next guy. And I think you could absolutely see a major year from him. And I think he's great value at round 16. Let's get to my draft. So first round for me was actually kind of rough because, again, last pick of the first round. And you have a bunch of guys that you're just praying fall to you. And every single guy I was praying would fall to me was taken. I was hoping for somebody like Dustin Crum, Tank Bigsby. I was hoping for, um, trying to think, who else? Uh, Keyshawn Butte, David Bell, somebody had fallen to me at 13. None of those guys I really, I really wanted fell there. But I did still see Ronnie Rivers there at the, end of the, at the end of the first round. And to me, I had to go ahead and just pick up a running back that could solidify my room. And that's, where I, that's when I went Ronnie Rivers. And after that, I'd seen in the first mock draft that wide receivers were going early and this is like Xavier was alluding to earlier where it really seems like this year you have to get your wide receivers relatively early because there's a massive drop-off in potential from that first year of wide receivers to the end of your draft 
you can find some great value at running back later in the draft that we know of. You can find some great value at quarterback later in the draft that we know will be good value still. However, wide receivers, you're really starting to look and be like, all right, you're a lot more boom and bust later in the draft. So I had to get somebody I knew was going to be good. And so I went with a connection that I knew was already established. And that was Marvin Mims in Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler. And so I just went ahead and got Marvin Mims. And then I waited a year and a half before it came back to me. Xavier knows I'm talking about, man, when you're, when you're on this turn and you're a 13 man league, you wait forever before it's your turn again. Now it'll be better once these are live drafts, but still I had to go ahead and get a quarterback because I knew that they were, I, this is, this was the point where again, that top tier quarterback, I wanted to grab at least one of them and Desmond Ritter was sitting there for me. And so I went ahead and grabbed him and kind of like with the last picks, I wanted to go ahead and solidify my wide receiver room. As you can kind of see, I kind of waited a little bit before I took another wide receiver because I knew how solid these two guys were. And that was Chris Olave out of Ohio State. I, I actually have an Ohio State friend. I've been discussing this a lot with. He's actually sold on Garrett Wilson. Or, uh, yeah, Garrett Wilson being that top guy next year. And I don't doubt that Garrett Wilson's incredibly talented. However, I don't think Chris Olave would have been convinced to come back another year after being projected as a first-round receiver this year in the NFL draft if he wasn't guaranteed that he was going to be getting production this year. I don't think he would have taken that risk. Like, obviously, I'm not going to say he doesn't love Ohio State. He clearly loves Ohio State. But I think there's going to be other things in there that incentivized him to come back for one more year. And I don't think he would have come back if he felt like he was going to fade away to people like Garrett Wilson, uh, Smith and Jibba, Julian Fleming, all these other guys. Uh, yeah, you have thoughts there, Xavier? I was going to say, I think that speaks to uh, CJ Stroud, uh, Stroud's uh, potential as well to where, you know, you're going from Justin Fields to basically, a, I wouldn't say a true, true freshman, but this man barely touched the field. of He's only come in maybe maybe two to three times in the uh, at the end of games for uh, some games over Ohio State this past season with them only playing a few games uh, less than every other conference. But I think Chris Olave know, understand that he still has a good quarterback in his hand that's going to get him the ball and get, and get him at a high rate and that he can still produce what he's been producing or he ran at a better rate. So I think mm-hmm. either way, it would have been good. Garrett Wilson to Chris Olave. I think the sure, I think the safe pick was definitely Chris Olave because even if Garrett Wilson is that number one, Chris Olave is still going to get you a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. It'll mm-hmm. probably be like an Alabama situation of a, oh, I have Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. Like, with, I mean, you can't somebody's going to go off or somebody's going to go have a really good day and the other person's going to like, well, I had 100 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. It's, it's just pick your poison at Ohio State right now. All right, I'll try to get through these next few ones a little bit quicker. Demontre uh, Tuggle, we already talked about him. I'm I'm captain of the tugboat. I'm I'll see I'll see you guys out on the water. Uh, Rashad White, um, he's a volume guy. I think he's going to be par- paired with Jaden Daniels and everything. I think he's going to go off this next season. Now he's also got a Trey Treyunum. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I ha- I'll have to look at it again, but. He's at, he's at running back two there at Arizona State, but I think Rashad White did enough to establish himself as that first back out on the field to where I felt comfortable taking him in the sixth round. Miles Brennan, we kind of already talked about him a little bit. I made fun of you for that. Uh, I went ahead and got my third wide receiver here, uh, Eric Ezukanma. He was somebody... What was that? I was like, how did he fall that late to me? Well, did he fall that late for you in, in your draft? 
as well? Because again, I was, I was, I was surprised that people weren't really looking at him. He went fifth round for me. Okay, okay. Because uh, like I remember, he went pretty later in the first mock draft. I haven't looked too deeply at the uh, fourth draft they just put out to see where he's gone there. But yeah, eighth round here, I was looking to solidify my starting core of wide receivers and. To me, Ezukanma, pretty much his last man standing there at Texas Tech. Because uh, so many of the other guys, Keyshawn Carter, Jalen Polk, all these other guys just transferred out. So I'm like, all right, Eric Ezukanma, all right, seems like you're number one guy. And especially if Tyler Shuck does take that starting job, I see Ezukanma's draft stock going way up. My first backup quarterback was Casey Thompson. I'm feeling less and less confident in that pick lately because I've been hearing more news that Hudson Card is getting. Uh, snaps with the uh, starting with a start with with ooh, try again Jared Hudson card is getting snaps with the starters at Texas and so I was I was pretty confident Casey Thompson going into spring camp that he would end up being the starter I still think he can be but I'm less sure about it now and I probably would have waited a little bit longer before grabbing him but then again if I'm right here and Casey Thompson is the quarterback one at Texas I got the quarterback one at Texas. I don't think I can go wrong with that, especially with the Steve Sarkeesian offense. Sarkeesian offense. Yeah. Uh, next up, I double dipped Texas. I got my, my guy of the, wide, of the wide receivers at Texas. That's Joshua Moore. I know a lot of other people are talking about uh, Omire. Um, there's some other guys um, that are some other freshmen and every not freshmen, but freshmen last year that people expect to take a big step forward this year. I think Joshua Moore is that kind of solidified guy that's going to provide that kind of captain of the wide receiver core. So I went with him. Traylon Smith was somebody I was surprised fell this late. And I talked to people like when we were doing the draft, I was like, hey guys, what's the hesitation here? And so a lot of people are worried that a lot of his data from last year came from that Missouri game where he just went off. And granted, I'll give him, I'll give him that. A lot of his production did come out of that game. However, um, they also brought up the fact that there's some freshman running backs coming in this year that they're a little worried about, and I don't think so. Or From what I'm hearing in camp, Traylon Smith still is that number one guy. I believe in the scrimmage it was reported he got about 69 yards, nice, uh, and a single touchdown. And so it seems to me he's still that premier back. Like He's still that number one back, and it seemed like on the um, secondary team, they were kind of switching back and forth between some backups. But Traylon Smith got all the carries on the first team. Um, uh, 12th round here. This is the beginning of the, uh, or this was a little bit later on the tight end run. I waited, I, th I believe my tight end run started in the 10th or 11th round. I waited a little bit because I was not going to start that tight end run. I want to see how late it went. I just went up and picked the best tight end available that was left at that point. That was Isaac Rex out of BYU. I like him a lot. Uh, we'll get into some reasons why later I'm less confident in him now than I was back when I did this draft. However, I still think I got a great tight end pick here. Uh, Jaden Daniels uh, solidifying that qu quarterback room. I would say Xavier's giving me applause over there. If you can't see on the podcast, he's giving me a little clap, clap, clap. Uh, Xavier loved that pick when I got him that late. Absolutely. I think with uh, Coach Herman, Jaden Daniels raved about uh, Coach Herman raved about Jaden Daniels. I, I remember seeing uh, him. Edwards, Herm Edwards, you mean, not Herb Tom. Edwards. I don't know why I'm thinking about Tom Herman. That makes <laughs> Herm Edwards, yeah, raves about Jaden Daniels, talks about his potential. Uh, I was a little bit hesitant in the beginning because I remember his freshman season, but he came in and obliterated Oregon. It, mm -hmm. it, was, a, it was a great game because that was the game where Brandon Ayuk was playing. 
and he just torched that Oregon secondary. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put that all on IU because Jaden Daniels still has to get him the ball, and Jaden Daniels is doing a good job with Arizona State finds they have good wide receivers. Like, oh, yeah. And Jared will talk a little bit more about that. Well, I thought you drafted one of the wide receivers, but I guess I'm mistaken. No. There was one that I was um I was made aware of in my draft, and that was uh L V Bunkley Shelton. Yeah. Who I went and I found some camp tape on him and he dude, this guy's talented. Um and if I if I could have gotten him this late, I probably would have. Like, dude is very, very talented. And I wouldn't look too much at the Jaden Daniels like stats from last season, uh, this past season, because it's 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 COVID season. Things happen. Pac-12 didn't have that many games. Cancellations happen. Well, to me, I mean, you can't totally ignore this last season because I think this last season. Well, um, um, hear me out here. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying this in a bad way. Like, I I, clearly, I still like Jaden Daniels. I'm surprised he fell to 13 here. But to me, last year solidified his use of his legs. Like, look at his rushing numbers from last year compared to his passing numbers. Like, they clearly know how to use his legs when they need to. And combine that with the rushing attack they have, you're probably looking like at a Russell Wilson situation over in Seattle where the legs of the QB is going to open up lanes for the running running game. And the running game, in turn, is going to open up lanes for Jaden Daniels to be able to use his legs. So I like the upside of Jaden Daniels based on what I was seeing last year, even if he wasn't passing as much. However, we both know that rushing for a QB is going to get you a lot more points than passing. Yeah. So you might have a little uh, uh, Malik Willis light, mm-hmm. per se. That's, I, I think that's the upside for Jaden Daniels, especially in a Pac-12 conference where mm-hmm. points, it's just outscore the other team. I agree. Uh, to finish up here, Braylon Sanders out of Ole Miss. Uh, he's kind of my guy on the Ole Miss offense. Um, a lot of people were looking at Jacor Pearson, and from camp notes, I'm hearing that Jacor Pearson is that guy. He is very, very good, and I'm on the side now where I probably would draft Jacor Pearson over Braylon Sanders because Jacor Pearson's apparently taking over the role that Elijah Moore had last year. And if you know anything about what Elijah Moore did last year, um, yeah, Jacor Pearson could very well be a top-tier wide receiver in fantasy next year. But however, I want Braylon Sanders because, to me, he was that guy kind of showing at, at the end of the year after Elijah Moore kind of opted out at the end of the season that he could take over that number one receiver role. And I'm always a bit err on the cautious side of, I'll go with the veterans who are there with the program over the new transfers, at least in the beginning until I start hearing notes out of camp. And now I'm starting to hear notes out of camp that Shakur Pearson could take over that number one wide receiver role. Yeah, especially from, uh, I, I would say, I would per se a weaker division because Jacora Pearson came out of Western Kentucky, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So. Yes, sir. Going from, oh, man, you're going to have to tell me the conference. I almost forgot. TUSA. Yeah, TUSA. So, CUSA. So, you're going to the SEC, and that's going to be a big jump. I mean, I mean sometimes the, uh, these players can because of their athletic ability, but sometimes it's just a whole different world, making mm-hmm. it basically go into a higher division, basically. So, yeah, it's good thing. It's good to hear the uh, things that I can't about Jacora Pearson, but Braylon Sanders has definitely been the SEC. He's battle tested, so I wouldn't count him out just yet. But I, I, like you said, I, I did hear did hear some things that I can't uh, good things that he has. He has some great attributes to him. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, finish up here. So Jalen Mitchell out of Louisville, running back. So again, I'm shocked that he's going this late. If I hadn't taken him here. I probably would have included him on my list of sleepers here today because this man, after Javian Hawkins uh, opted out midseason last year, finished the season with three straight 100-yard games. Dude clearly can take over that workload that Javian Hawkins left behind. I think Louisville has learned to trust him. 
And so I'm I'm shocked that he went this late. And I think because of that, I think I had one of the best running back cores in the uh, in the draft that I had. We're not going to go too deep onto like what everybody else did, but my personal opinion is I thought I did a great job with running back here. And then my last pick, I this was before the George Pick and George Pick and news. I'll point that out. That's why he went even this late. Like you're not going to get Jermaine Burton this late now because of every because of the unfortunate news of, with George Pickens and his ACL tear. Um, but I wanted, I just wanted a Georgia player on my team and it was my last pick. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go with the guy with high upside and that's Jermaine Burton. And well, not a week or two later, you had, uh, George Pickens, unfortunately go down with an ACL tear. And then, well, Jermaine Burton's injured now as well, but he's supposed to be back in a couple of weeks. And so, yeah, that's kind of my draft. Um, uh, let's see out of the two, let's see, I'm looking at I personally like my quarterback room better than yours, even though you do have Malik Willis, which earns you a lot of points. I like your running back room a lot more than mine, in my personal opinion. I love Kevin Harris, Devontae Tuggle, and Jarek Broussard as your top three. I do like my... Mine's still pretty good, I'd say, but... Um, wide receivers. I would take my wide receiver room over yours. Even though yours is a lot... I'd say yours is more top-heavy than mine. You have. I would say, yeah. Like, I feel like mine's is a lot more balanced. Your tight end room obviously has two of the best, probably three tight ends in the game, so I'm not going to knock you there. Um, yeah, I'd say overall, it definitely pays off for you to have that first overall pick. Um, that, that definitely helps you a ton. But I'm trying to think here now. Yeah, I'd say your your yours is probably yours is probably better than mine a little bit overall. But I'd say we if... I would be confident with my roster going into a season. Like, I'm, there's nothing here that I would say, like, oh, God, I'm terrified about this. Yeah. So, I will say one more thing okay. about the Jermaine Burton uh, pick, and I, I'll shout out uh, somebody that was in my draft to where it was at Alfred uh, JF. And he's apparently, which I, I was as well, on the Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint train to where mm-hmm. that he may stand out even more than Burton. And wow. I think the games that I saw, I, I definitely see the talent with uh, Rosamie Jackson. And he went down with a broken foot last uh, during the Florida game. So he's recovering. He's been recovering for that for some time. So we, I should expect to hear some things out of summer where he's hopefully on the field and getting some practice. But he'll definitely be on the field this fall. And, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think the talent is both comparable there. And Honestly, there there may be a little uh, fantasy battle there to where who who's going to turn out. I mean, Jermaine Burton didn't have that great game against Mississippi State, like oh, yeah. 200 yards. There's no denying that. But I feel like if you'd have gave Rosemi uh, some more time and some more reps, and not a not a torn apart foot. <laughs> yeah, not a torn apart foot. He definitely ain't. I will say this: he did get he did break the foot on a touchdown play. So you got to give the kid credit. He got two yeah. points before the injury. <laughs> That is that is very very true, and it's not yeah. often that we as Georgia fans can say, "Yeah, we'll be okay at wide receiver," uh, even with injuries to Pickens and Burton. Like I am shocked at how loaded we are at wide receiver this year. It's not something we can say very often, and so you're right that there probably will be kind of a split there in the Georgia wide receiver room, even if we're passing more because we just have tons of talent there. So, but I would say Bur- Burton is your best pick to be yeah. that number one guy this upcoming year. So yeah, those are kind of our thoughts. Those are like what we did in our drafts and everything. And yeah, we had a we had a great time, and hopefully we'll be 
not only participating in more drafts as the season goes along, but as soon as um, as soon as fan tracks gets their act together and uh, reopens the leagues for next year and everything, we could probably run a few drafts ourselves. And if y'all want to get involved, hit us up on Twitter. You guys see the little, you guys see our tags right down there. Our DMs are open. So if you guys want to get involved, just let us know. And with that, we'll go ahead and move on to a couple of transfer portal news that we want to talk about. One that we really want to talk about, and then two other ones that we're just going to kind of talk about just a little bit and then move on. So. Transfer portal news. All right, so we got. I I've cut this section down a lot. Um, so last time we talked, we did transfer portal news. We went almost 30, 40 minutes on it with five people, and so I've kind of cut it down to just three. And heck, even here, one we're only going to really talk about at length. The other two, I just thought were kind of interesting. I want to see what Zero's thoughts on it. And then I'll kind of go over a few more that I thought were interesting, but we're not going to go really, uh, we're not going to go in depth at all here. But the first one we just have to talk about, Xavier and I both loved this guy coming out of last year, and we were ready for him to kind of take over after Calvin Austin would leave Memphis this next year. And that's Taj Washington transferring, surprisingly in my opinion, from Memphis and is moving to Power 5 and is going to the USC Trojans. So Xavier, I'm going to go ahead and, or I, I, I'll go ahead and read his stats from last year, and then I'll get your initial thoughts on this. So last year in 2020, he saw 65 targets for 43 receptions, 743 yards, and six touchdowns. So Xavier, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, he was a great receiver at Memphis. Uh, definitely, it was it was definitely a little tier list of Memphis wide receivers where Calvin Austin was the standard with him and Brady White, but. You could see that Tosh Washington was just emerging and you would see his production go up and then there would be games where he would show flashes of like, man, this dude in a, in a year or so, he's going to take off to where he could, he could easily get a thousand yard season. And I, oh, yeah. I still believe that today, but with this USC news, it kind of, it kind of switches my uh, opinion a little bit in terms of USC, even though they lo- are losing Amon Ron St. Brown, which was a great receiver for them last year. They still have Brew McCoy and Drake London. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not neither saying that Taj Washington is worse or better than those players. It's just in terms of we don't know what Keaton Slovis is going to prefer. Like, we don't know the connection that him and Taj Washington could have. We don't know if Taj Washington is going to adjust this offense. We don't know if he will even like get as much playing time as we're expecting because we know he has the talent to do it, but oftentimes it's all about fit. So mm-hmm. I know Jared and me often say, like, yeah, you don't want to put like a, square peg in a round hole so we're hoping that it works out for Taj at USC and they'll have a nice little trio but from a fantasy perspective I think he could still put up a serviceable number and I feel like he'll be more of a streaming option at this point now but you never know he could break out and become overtake Drake and Brew I think he has the talent to do so because I was like if you're getting calvin austin then you definitely have something to uh something to offer so yeah i i was initially when i first heard this news i was like oh no like i was excited when i saw taj washington leaving Memphis. i wish i still saw him in memphis but when he first announced the transfer i'm like okay like if he goes somewhere that's like where he could be that clear wide receiver one day one i'd be like all over this man i'd be like this guy is going to break out this year 
And when he went to USC, my media thoughts were Drake London, Rue McCoy, and uh, several other talented receivers they have on, on that roster already. I'm like, <clears throat> however, I started doing a little bit more research. And I have to thank the folks over at Pro Football Focus uh, for their um, enhanced stats that they provide for college athletics. And I saw some things that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that Taj Washington can fit a role that this offense has does not have at this moment. And that, to me, is a deep threat receiver. I went and looked last year at players like Amon Ron St. Brown. I went and looked at players like Drake London. I went and looked at players like Bruce McCoy. Every single one of them had um, over 40% of their targets were less than 10 yards down the field. Taj Washington, while at Memphis, saw 48% of his targets come between 10 and 19 yards down the field. Uh, this man is stretching the field for his offenses. And he got three, touch- he got three touchdowns out of, the- out of those targets. This man clearly can kind of provide that new role in the USC offense. And I, look, I looked at him compared to Amon Ron St. Brown. Amon Ron St. Brown is probably the closest, I'd probably say, in terms of where he could fit in this USC offense. And with him gone, I think Taj Washington can easily fill in that left side, kind of mid, medium to deep threat receiver that the USC is not, or currently doesn't have as far as I can tell. Now, Drake London obviously could change that. Dude's very talented. Bruce McCoy, all these guys are very talented. However, I'm also wondering if this is a scheme thing where these wide receivers are expected to be targeted 0 to, zero to 10 yards down the field. In which case, if that's the case, Taj Washington's a little bit in trouble here because I'm looking at his uh, short passes last year. He struggled in the short game. Um... Last year, when, when he was targeted less than 10 yards down the field, he was given a uh, grade of 59.8, a receiving grade, and a drop grade of 47.1 when, it's, when he's targeted less than 10 yards down the field. So if, you, if USC is going to try to, like, kind of, like Xavier was kind of mentioned earlier, where you're taking him and trying to take this square and shove it into a round hole, it could spell trouble for Taj Washington, but if they do play to his strengths and make him that kind of mid to deep threat receiver, you're looking at somebody that could easily take over as a wide receiver 1A, 1B, or even just the number one period. So I see a lot of potential here, but I also see a lot of room for just a major bust here. But late rounds, I think he's worth a draft. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Uh, it's, it's a boomer bust pick. You're either going to get great value really late, or you're just going to have to drop and uh, pick somebody up off the waiver wire, which is not always that bad because players emerge each season where we're just like, I did not expect this player to be this good this season. So if you're just on it, then you'll be able to do that quickly. If you're not, then oh well. But if Taj Washington does pan out, your fantasy team, your wide receiver room just got a big upgrade. Oh, yeah. So we'll go ahead and move on to the second one. That was kind of the big one we were really going to talk about. Uh, the second one I wanted to mention was the fact that Puka and Samson Nakua, um, I messed up here on the graphic. It says Washington to BYU, but Samson's actually transferring out of Utah to BYU. They're both going to BYU. So last year, Puka uh, saw nine receptions for 151 yards uh, and one touchdown in three games for Washington. And it was the second... He had the second most targets on his team. 
on the Washington on the Washington Huskies. Samson saw four receptions for 29 yards, one touchdown in two games. So basically what I saw here with these two guys, when I took a look again, once again, pro football focus, they have great stats. Um, it's totally worth the price to kind of uh, take a look at these stats. Uh, these guys are very much short to middle range guys on both of their teams. And while I think Puka is the more talented out of the two, and I think he's going to be getting a lot more work, I do think that adding these two short-range options onto BYU is going to help whoever their quarterback is next year. Most likely it's going to be Baylor Romney is what I'm hearing. But I think having two, two, two more short-range wide receivers is going to help in that offense. I don't know how well they'll do for fantasy options. And I do think it will actually end up hurting, like I, I, I teased this earlier, I think it's going to end up hurting Isaac Rex more than it's going to help either of them. Because Isaac Rex is going to be your uh, kind of short pass, tight end, that's going to get tons of targets in that short game. However, with these two guys coming in as short, short pass wide receivers, you'll probably see some targets taken away from Isaac Rex. So those are my thoughts on this. Xavier, what are your kind of thoughts here? Um... I, I think this definitely helps whoever's going to be the um, the QB of BYU. You're obviously going from Zach Wilson to whoever else, and I don't think you can just automatically or just, you know, next man up Zach Wilson. That, that's going to be a once in a every couple of years type of player or maybe mm-hmm. a once in a generation type of player, depending on how well he does in the NFL. But I think that does give their wide receiver room a little bit more help because they are losing Dax Milne and Gunnar Romney as, you know, another another great receiver that they have, you know, a great deep threat. But that's all they're going to have left. He wasn't a thousand yard receiver. He wasn't, you know, the number one option, but definitely bolsters up that wide receiver room. If they can produce, then, yeah, maybe Isaiah Rex will take a hit. But I do, I, I do always say this, and I, I always tell uh, Jared and other people this: with when it comes to new quarterbacks, I've always noticed this. The tight end always becomes their best friend. It's, it's like a safety net, mm-hmm. to where the tight end will always be there for short passes. You don't, you know, if you're not able to go through your, uh, your reads and your progressions, the tight end will always be there. Like you, they'll either go from blocking to, hey, I'm still here. I'm open. Hit me. I'll get something or either nothing. But stuff that the tight end will make things work so i think isaac rex is not in jeopardy per se Mm -hmm. but if it starts to click with uh whoever the quarterback is which i am also hearing it's going to be romney as well um yeah that may spell trouble for isaiah rex but i think he still will be a top uh tight end and i just i just think that maybe you know in terms of his production maybe he won't have the amount of yards or touchdowns he had previously because it was just mainly him, uh, him, Dax Milne, and Gunnar Romney, and mm-hmm. Zach Wilson just finding the ball with anybody. But if you have sure. a crowded receiving room, then yeah, that could spell trouble for your tight end, and they just may ask him to block. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be clear. Like, I'm not saying like this is gonna destroy Isaac Rex's fantasy value. Like, dude, dude was getting an insane amount of targets and touchdowns last year. Like, there's probably gonna be at least some regression to the mean with Isaac Rex. Like, um. Now, granted, he's a freshman, so maybe maybe he gets even better and they target him even more. But, uh, again, to me, it's just not a red flag per se with this happening, but it's definitely it's, it's, it's a flag that's kind of waving at me and saying, like, hey, you should at least think about this. So, 
The last kind of transfer we're going to really talk about here is quarterback Jason Bean from North Texas transferring to Kansas. And so I liked Jason Bean, having him on my fantasy team last year. Dude was a ton of fun, and we'll get to why in a second because I'll read out his stats and everything. Problem with him was injury. Good God, injury. Him and Austin own, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, they were kind of going back and forth while at North Texas because of injury, because the coach just kept throwing Austin Oon in there every once in a while. And so I'll read out his stats from last year. He played in eight games, and in those eight games, his passing was 1,131 yards uh, for 14 touchdowns and five interceptions. His completion percentage was 54.5%. His rushing, he had 56 attempts, 346 yards, and five touchdowns. So that's where the fun part of it came in, was that dude can use his leg. And to me, if you get a good coach in there to uh, utilize his legs, dude can absolutely burn an entire defense. I think he could be a ton of fun, especially at a school like Kansas. However, we're also talking about Kansas. And you're talking about a pretty good downgrade in weapons, in my opinion, because last year you're looking at him having Jalen Darden, as a go-to receiver, Jair Shorter was injured pretty early on, but he was a great receiver. Uh, Simpson was another receiver that they had out there. And then Xavier, can you name a single receiver off of Kansas's uh, depth chart right now? Look, right now, no. But I will say, if you asked me a few months ago, I'd be like, uh, Parchment was there before true. he went up FSU. That's well, true. That's I, true. I no there's there another one that was there, and he moved off Northwestern. So I'm sure there'll be guys to emerge and everything. But now name me the running back. Oh, God. But this, is, this, this is my point. You, can't even, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to name anybody off of Kansas last okay. year. Now, I, granted. I'll, I'll only say, like, the only running back I remember from Kansas is Puka Williams, and he's gone now. And yeah. I'm glad he's gone because, oh, God, past fantasy years, nightmares for that man. <laughs> yeah, you got burned by him a couple of times. and Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic about Jason Bean going to Kansas. I do think he is a upgrade at quarterback for them. Now, again, his passing isn't the greatest, but he does provide that kind of dual threat possibility for Kansas to play around with. And he could be somebody to keep your eye on. I just wanted to bring him up here because I liked him last year, and I'm excited to see him try to try his options out at the Power Five. Any other thoughts you would say here, Xavier, before we move on? Uh, not, not, nothing really. He's going from North Texas to Kansas. You're going to the Big 12. It, it, mm-hmm. could, it could spell, you know, you don't have to worry about – well, I, I can't even say that anymore. You don't have to worry about defense in the Big 12 anymore. Things are definitely nope. changing. So we'll see. But at, at least he's able to use his legs. And hmm. we'll see how that spells. So before we move on from Transfer Portal News, there's a couple other transfers and notes I just wanted to mention here. Xavier, you can kind of hop in here and talk about a little bit of these guys, if any of them strike your interest. Uh, Tyrell Pigrone, who was a starting quarterback last year at Western Kentucky, is transferring out of Western Kentucky, which kind of tells me that Bailey Zapp and that air raid offense is being brought in will be in will be in force this upcoming year. Uh, Asher O'Hara, fantasy darling of two years ago, um, and also a little bit this past year, transferred out of MTSU and is going to the FCS. He is going to Sacramento State. 
So he will not be an option for this upcoming year. And then the other, the last one I kind of wanted to mention was uh, Christian Fitzpatrick, younger brother of Des Fitzpatrick, is transferring out of Louisville and is going to Michigan State. So, any thoughts you want to mention there, Xavier? Or you want to just go ahead and move on? Let's go to sleepers. Yeah, I'll just touch on the Fitzpatrick uh, transfer. I, I just hope Michigan State can find, like, it, it was just, they just need to find a QB because I, I never know if it's going to be Lombardi, the other guy. It's just so inconsistent. I feel so bad for Mel Tucker because I know he comes from – he turned that Colorado program sort of around and got them on a stable place in the Pac-12. He was great defensive coordinator at Georgia and at uh, Michigan State. He has he has had some pretty significant upsets too. So I, I was like, he's definitely a good coach for that program. I just think he just needs to find a, a good, solid foundation at QB. So hopefully um, they address that in recruiting this past year, or maybe Lombardi takes that next step and can. Well, Lombardi transferred out. He Ooh. is he he transferred to Northern Illinois. Uh, Peyton Thorne took over in the latter half of the season, and he provided an upgrade. Nothing special, I'd say, yeah. but they also got the transfer starting quarterback from Temple, Anthony Russo, there to kind of push him and maybe push for that starting role. So it looks like they're going to have at least some sort of quarterback competition there, and hopefully that brings some good out of it. So shall we get to Sleeper, Xavier? Oh, yeah. So let's get on with it. So Xavier and I have both picked out uh, two, um, or not two, what am I saying? Good Lord, numbers. Can never get them straight. So Xavier and I picked out five sleepers each that we want to talk about. A couple of things here to kind of qualify what we're thinking is a sleeper. So there's been several mock drafts done already. And pretty much, it's, it's a little subjective, but basically if Xavier and I thought that these guys were going undrafted way too often, especially in some of these kind of deeper leagues that are going 16, 20 rounds, we're amazed that some of these guys can get to the end of a draft and they're still there. They're still like, they're just waiver wire picks waiting for you to pick up. Um, I kind of went with the, um, I didn't pick anybody out of my draft that I took part in. And I think Xavier did the same thing where he didn't pick anybody that was in his draft. Yeah. I think those are the, those are the main qualifications. So basically overall, we're looking at guys we think are just going way too late uh yeah xavier got any other things to add here any other qualifications uh, I didn't pick anybody from uh, my draft and i i i, I kind of uh changed my definition of sleeper a little bit to where i just felt like I, I felt like everybody made great choices in my draft to where i i feel like players were picked and there was not a player that um you know was not supposed to just be drafted like why oh why would you make that pick like I would have never even considered drafting or anything like that. I, I just define it as players that are left out that if there were, you know, maybe another team or two, I felt that could have been drafted or it could have. Fair used enough. So that's kind of how the standards I was looking at it from. Because yeah, also, in oh. leagues, things are going to happen where you're going to have to really find talent in small places. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And I think another thing we have to put out here is that these are guys we think have high upside. Like you're talking about guys that you could probably pick up late in your drafts because, again, it, clearly their ADP is pretty far down. And these could be potential starters for you 
in your fantasy leagues. So with all those qualifications out of the way, we'll just go ahead and get started with my first one. So I, oh, one, one other thing very briefly is that the one rule is that we couldn't have more than three uh, players from the same position. That's kind of our thing, but I, I just want to point that out there. So if you're thinking like, oh, why did you not mention this guy? It's like, well, I already had three wide receivers. I, I, I don't, didn't really apply here. I'm not sure why I told you guys that, but that was kind of our rule. So first one, Marcel Barbie. That is a name last year I kept an eye on. And I am shocked, shocked that in two out of the four leagues that, or two out of the four mock drafts that have done, been done so far, he has gone undrafted. And in another draft, he was taken, I believe, in like the last three rounds. And then the other, the other draft, he went probably where I would have drafted him. I think it was like the ninth round or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. However, I'm still just shocked that he's falling this far in so many drafts. You're talking about a guy that, in terms of fantasy value, could be compared to. And I'm gonna, Xavier. You're gonna. You're going to probably. Um, you're probably gonna tell me to stop it here, but could be comparable to Terrence Marshall Jr. And I. And here. Here's my. Here's my backup on that. So, Marcel Barbie saw 25% of his targets last year go for 20-plus yards downfield. From that, he got three touchdowns off six receptions. He had 18 targets downfield. And that was not, like, the fact that he only had six receptions out of 18 targets was not his fault because uh, PFF gave him only a 79.3% drop grade. So clearly, it was either just off-target and stuff like that. It wasn't totally his fault. And he got 10 total touchdowns last year. He got 40 receptions and 65, tar- or excuse me. So he got 10 total touchdowns. Let's compare this to Terrence Marshall Jr. Terrence Marshall Jr. in his games last year saw 67 targets. Compare that to Marcel Barbie's 71 targets. In deep balls, which are 20 plus yards down the field, he saw eight targets compared to Marcel Barbie's 18. He had six receptions compared to Marcel Barbie's six receptions, four touchdowns. Four touchdowns for, or three touchdowns for Marcel Barbie. He had a 77.5 drop grade compared to Marcel Barbie's 79.3. Um, and he got, and he too got 10 total touchdowns on the year. Now the big th- difference here is that Terrence Marshall played in a few less games, so I'll 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 say that I will say that. However, this is with Marcel Barbie. He was number one receiver last year on Texas State. However. 40 receptions and 65 targets have been vacated from this past year because of the number two receiver, Jeremiah Haydell, leaving the team and going off to the, going off to the draft. And so you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be earning even more targets downfield, and you're going to be looking at a guy who can get massive chunk, chunk plays in a good chunk of the targets he receives per game. So, yeah, that's kind of my case for Xavier. Like, is anything you're seeing here that's kind of you're you're kind of poking holes in it or no uh, I've, I've seen that comparison made and uh, based on the uh, st- stats and facts that you presented i i don't think it's out of the question considering that uh the next receiver is gone and well but i i will say this though um well actually um because the school uh he attends texas state if i don't yes sir okay so 
and the quarterback there is still there from this past season. Yes, that that was going to be something like if he didn't bring it up was going to be one of my detractors, and that's the inconsistent QB play that he saw last year with uh, Brady McBride and Tyler um, Tyler Hill, or yeah. no, it's not Tyler Hill, Tyler Vitt. Yeah, because I, I was I was going to say the only thing is that. While he doesn't get like hundred yard games because he didn't get one this past season, he did not. That was another thing I was gonna say. He had zero hundred yard games last year. But he was so close, like so many games. Like there were mm-hmm. seventy seven yard games, sixty six, sixty nine, eighty something. Like it, it didn't matter. So he's definitely gonna see an increase in his production. I, I, I definitely see an increase in his future. So I, I don't blame it. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, you kind of brought you kind of you kind of brought up the things that I was going to point out as detractors. The fact that he didn't have a hundred yard game, the inconsistent QB play is clearly a step down from what Terrence Marshall would have seen at LSU with Miles Brennan or Max Johnson. Um, the one last detractor I had is the fact that they do have a pair of solid running backs there in Calvin Hill and Brock Sturges, who both are receiving backs and can take away in that passing game, as well as the fact that if they get going. Um, Texas State has been known to just shut down the passing game and just let those two run. So those are kind of my main detractors. I got nothing else for Marcel Barbie. He's my number one sleeper here. He's the guy that I'm like, how in the world is he going? Is he not even getting drafted in some of these leagues? So we'll, we'll move on to your first sleeper. I'll let you introduce him. This is, this is one, of my bo- one of my boys too, but I'll let you have him. James Cook. Uh... I, this, I'm going to make this comp this year because I've seen a lot of hype around this player. This I'll just point out real quick. James Cook is a running back from Georgia. Yeah, the running back from Georgia. But I, I might as well just call him a Swiss Army knife because the man can do it all. A lot of people are hyping up, and as, as they should, Jaquarius marks out of Mississippi State, where, oh, he's a great runner, gets a lot of yards, and he can catch out of the backfield or can, uh, can play on the slot and receive. James Cook can basically do the same thing Jaquarius Marks can do. It's that Georgia just has a great room of talent at the running back position and the wide receiver position. But I will say this as a caveat to where James Cook is going into, I believe this is his, uh, he, he might be coming year. back for a fifth year or either he'll be going to his senior season uh, this next junior season. Junior year, I believe. Hmm? I believe this is his junior year. So he'll be going into a senior season. So, Kirby, he already has familiar. No, 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 no. This is his upcoming. This upcoming season is junior year. Okay, so he's go. Oh man, so mm-hmm. he he's already he's the brother of Dalvin Cook. So you know he's in the off season. He's working with his brother, and also he's been learning the mocking system. And if you just take a look at that Missouri game where he caught a a bomb for like eighty something yards, it's it just shows you the talent that he has. That was the Alabama game. That oh, he, that was the Alabama uh, game. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. He did have, again, this is something I pointed out to Xavier. Um, I was playing a little trivia with him, and I asked him who had Georgia's longest receiving touchdown last year. And I think Xavier went through every wide receiver we had before I, he finally set it on James Cook. And I said, yeah, James Cook, 82-yard touchdown against Bama. Yeah. So, so. I think with uh, Kirby's familiarity with them, because Kirby always does this every year with, the running backs that he's familiar with and that have like uh, precedent over all the new guys coming in. So, oh, man, I can't even name you our freshman running back coming in. But oh, Lovisier Carroll and then mm-hmm. Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton last year, they saw some time on the field. But it's mainly going to be Zamir, Kendall, Kenny, 
and James Cook. But James Cook is starting to find a role to where at first it seemed like he was just too short to run between the uh, trenches. And then sometimes we didn't, we didn't, we knew that he had the speed to play in the slot. Jarrett was definitely a big fan of this in the beginning. I wasn't, I was just like, I think we just using him wrong. Maybe we should be passing out of the backfield. But this past season, I, I saw flashes of like what we could really be using as. And I think this could be a Jaquarius Marks type player later around. Now you might not get the same production because Georgia has all that talent compared to Mississippi State, but you're still finding great value. Certain games, James Cook can go off for well well over 100 yards from scrimmage. And he's done that multiple times where he'll get 80 yards rushing, but still 30 yards receiving off of two receptions. So, Oh, yeah. I, I would personally say that if you're in a PPR league, James Cook is absolutely worth a look as a receiving back. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I agree with almost everything Xavier said. Clearly, I'm a Georgia fan, too. I know James Cook, and um, I've been waiting for him to have a breakout season. And I think he's very, very possibly, you're going to be looking and seeing him have that this upcoming year, not just as a running back, but as a receiving threat on the Georgia offense. So I guess we'll, you got anything else you want to add there before we move on to my next guy? All right. So my next guy is another wide receiver. This is my second wide receiver I'm talking about today. And it's a Florida wide receiver. And I've seen, in other drafts, I've seen Justin Shorter taken. And I have seen uh, Xavier Henderson taken. Like, clearly some guys with high upside, very talented. Um, Clearly, people are looking for that next Florida wide receiver that they can count on last year. Like, they had Kadarius Toney. They had Trayvon Grimes. They had Kyle Pitts last year. Like, you had three guys there. All three gone. To me, there's a clear next guy up, and I'm shocked that people just don't see it, and that's Jacob Copeland. Jacob Copeland last year was the number four target on that Florida offense. And people, I think, forgot about him because he wasn't there during the bowl game because of COVID reasons. Because you saw Kadarius Tony gone. You saw. Yeah, you saw Kadarius Tony gone. You had uh, Kyle Pitts gone. You had Trayvon Grimes gone. But let's take, let's take a look at all the things that were left open because of that. Targets vacated because of those three being gone. 208 targets are, go- are now open. 437 passing attempts on that offense are now open. Um, 151 receptions now open. Or like you're, you're talking about a ton of opportunity for a guy like Jacob Copeland, who was a clear number four. Like, it wasn't close after that. Jacob Copeland was the number four wide receiver on that offense and can clearly move up to that number one spot, in my opinion. Like, you're talking about a dude that had, like, if you're talking about a wide receiver just built in a lab, like, if you could build a wide receiver in a lab, measurables and everything, you're looking at Jacob Copeland. This dude is built to be a wide receiver. And to me, even with the doubt that can come out of Emory Jones and everything, I think you're going to see Jacob Copeland take over as that wide receiver one this upcoming year and have a grand year. So those are kind of my thoughts on Jacob Copeland. Again, I kind of mentioned here, the main detractors I'm seeing here is the fact that you could have a younger wide receiver just blow up, which is, it happens. And then obviously the quarterback play at Florida, people are a little skeptical about Emory Jones talking about 52.9% completion percentage, 81 yards, zero touchdowns in the bowl game. And then a lot of other people tell me like, oh no, Anthony Richards could take it over. And like, 
Can we say that? Because Anthony Richards threw two passes last year. One was a touchdown in the bowl game. The other one was an interception. So we can't really, in my opinion, say anything about Anthony Richardson yet there. But I still think that Jacob Copeland, if you're looking for a wide receiver on Florida to go to, it has to be Jacob Copeland because he's the guy that is the established veteran. And if it weren't for Kadarius Toney, if it weren't for um, Trayvon Grimes, if it weren't for Kyle Pitts last year, you would have seen a lot more production out of Jacob Copeland. David, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. I, even though I am one of those uh, skeptics of Emory Jones and how he will play, I, I've, I, I was really um, – I was never down on him during the season. I, I obviously think he has talent, but it was just every time he got on the field, it was just like you always knew it was going to be a running play. So it just kind of uh, kind of just seems like, you know, the next step is like maybe they'll just use him as a dual threat quarterback, but mostly just his legs. So we don't, we don't know what Jacob Copeland can look like. We've seen Emory Jones throw the ball a few times. There are some question marks there. Um, we'll see. I, I know that a lot of people were high on Xavier Henderson coming in because he was a five-star, I believe, four or five-star wide receiver. High four-star, if I remember correctly. Receiver, and people were just raving about him and, he didn't have a terrible freshman season, uh, freshman campaign this past season. He just had a pretty average where a couple of 20, 40, 30, 60 yard games, no, mm-hmm. nothing to stand out. But if it is possible that, you know, Xavier Henderson could step out and be that number one if if it turns out to be that way. But for the safe bet, it definitely is Copeland. Like you said, there's a lot of targets available. And even if it's not going to be like Copeland's not going to take I mean, nobody's going to take 150 targets and all, like 100 Oh, of course not. If Copeland can just take, I don't know, 40, 30% of that, that's mm-hmm. on top of the stuff that, uh, on top of the targets that he had th- this past season. He had 40 targets, I believe, this past year. Yeah. So if you're giving him close to 60, 70 yep. targets, that, that, that could, that could, that could help your, your wide receiver room a lot. Yep. I would agree. So I guess we'll go ahead and move on to your second guy who you got here. Oh, look at that. To his little brother. We'll go with the little brother, Talia Tagovailoa at Maryland. Uh, He showed um, – I'm I'm mainly going based off of this one game. I I don't expect people to draft him, but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if somebody did. And I, I, I think he definitely has shown the talent to be a starting quarterback at Maryland. And he already, I think, a lot of people have even identified his number one receiver with Rakeem Jarrett. And if there's a good connection there. And I think for his freshman campaign and him transferring from Bama and going into a whole new program, Big Ten, I think he's just primed and ready to take that next step. And I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten or anything like that. But I think he could be very serviceable for your team if you're just late in a draft and you have three or maybe you want an extra quarterback and some more points. I think Talia Tagovailoa definitely has the skill set and the personnel to help out your team a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you pretty much wholeheartedly. Um, my, my thing with Talia is while I like, I, I, I like him like as a person and everything I love, uh, I love to and him as well. I do think he is pretty boomer bust in terms of when he's on he's on like you were talking about he had he had that one game i can't remember which game it was off the top of my head last year but he did have one game where he went off and very clearly established that the ceiling is for him to get 35 plus 
fantasy points in a game if things are going well. And I think with a full offseason to connect with his receivers, connect with that offense, he absolutely can reach that point. However, you got a lot of games where once things were kind of going wrong, things went really wrong for Talia. And you saw him throw interception after interception, fumble after fumble. And it's just not something I would personally want to subscribe to if I was desperate in a league. Like, if say I waited too long on a quarterback in a draft, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't have my second starting quarterback. I'm not going to be looking to Talia Tagovailoa because he's going to be a guy that could really screw up my entire fantasy week because he can get 35-plus points in a week, but he can also get two. And so, especially if you count interceptions and fumbles and any, any other turnovers uh, against him and everything. So, yeah, I'd say I understand where you're coming from. I agree with you wholeheartedly that if things connect this year with Mike Loxley, Rakeem Jarrett, and everything at Maryland, you're looking at probably one of the best fantasy quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I will say this. Besides his Northwestern game... Every other game, because only, Maryland only played four games. Well, he only played four games, but I believe yeah. only Maryland played four games because of COVID. Mm-hmm. He threw over 200, well over 200 yards for the three games, and that was a win against Penn State and Minnesota. And I think the Minnesota game is the one that everybody remembers where he threw almost close to 400 yards. Mm-hmm. And That'd he be definitely it. showed to where he can use uh, – there were, there were times where he dropped back too much and got sacked and fumbled the ball, but there were games where he did get positive yardage in his rushing games where he would – run for eight mm-hmm. times, get 59 yards, and the other time he'll get, like, 13. But he he definitely has the, uh, the skill set, I believe. How many interceptions did he throw last year? Last Wait. year he threw uh, seven touchdowns and seven interceptions. So, yeah, it was tough. And again, hopefully that's a little better for him this year with a full season and everything. Yeah, with full season, full spring, I think that will definitely – it'll definitely pan out in his favor. Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to my third guy, unless you got any last things you want to talk about, Talia. Nope. All right. So my third guy, Raymond Davis. Raymond was some, I will admit, was a little bit of a disappointment for me last year when I drafted him from Temple because dude went off in the bowl game against North Carolina. They got destroyed that game. But the bright spot for Temple was the fact that I think Raymond Davis got like three touchdowns that game or something like that. Like, dude was like the lone bright spot on the entire offense, and the future was very bright for him. However, last year comes along. He's doing well. He's got a touchdown, and but he's not quite. Or he's doing well in yards. Has one touchdown. Isn't quite doing well. And then injury strikes. COVID strikes, and suddenly he's just not finding the play in time that he used to be getting. And so. He seems to have just packed up his stuff and realized his talent and said, hey, I can go to a Power 5 team. Barely. He went to Vanderbilt. Um, so a couple of things I do want to mention here. Uh, 2020 stats for Raymond Davis. He did, Like I said, he had 78 attempts, 308 yards, which is good for about 3.9 to 4 yards per carry. Uh, tw- one touchdown and 12 receptions. So again, he had a all right year, but again, his season ended kind of early. So he transferred to Vanderbilt from Temple. And a couple things I wanted to note here that I thought were kind of interesting. First of all, watching him on tape, dude has incredible vision. His eyes are always downfield. And 
he can very much read a defense as it's move at, like as all the pieces are moving he can find a pathway through people in order to get more yards and i think that's pretty incredible uh, another thing i wanted to mention here was that First of all, Vanderbilt is very good about finding their one running back that they're going to give 150 plus carries per season. I look back and I could not find an end as to when Vanderbilt had a running back, a starting running back that was less than 150 carries. So if Raymond Davis gets that starting job, you know you're going to get the volume from him. And you could probably, I think the highest I saw for Vanderbilt running back in the past five years, like 250 carries in a single season, which is a lot. Clearly. Um, not only that, Vanderbilt under Derek Mason ran on 63% of their plays. Well, Derek Mason's now gone, and you had Clark Lee from Notre Dame coming in, who is coming from a system that ran the ball 68% of the time. So you're talking about a, co- a coach, first of all, a defensive coach, who is more likely to be wanting to establish that run game in order to protect his defense. So, again, if Raymond Davis becomes that starting running back here at Vanderbilt. I think you're going to get tons of volume, tons of opportunity for him to kind of show out in this offense. Um, and the last thing I kind of wanted to point out here was that the starting running back from last year, Keon Henry Brooks, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago um, when we were talking about transfer portal, he transferred out, which to me kind of points to, first of all, I think Keon Henry Brooks is a talented running back and I think he should be looking for other opportunities to play at a little bit higher level. But it also kind of speaks to me that Raymond Davis may have possibly kind of pushed him out a little bit. Raymond Davis could be kind of taking over that starting job there. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on Raymond Davis. Dude's a hard worker. I actually follow him on Twitter. I saw, his, uh, I saw a couple of his tweets come by. Dude's a very hard worker. Dude loves, clearly loves his team. Uh, is doing everything he can to win that starting job. And I think if he does, he's going to play his heart out. And you're looking at a guy that could easily easily provide you just a good consistent option for you every single week so Xavier what are you thinking here yeah I, I'm in complete agreement. I, I guess the only uh discrepancy I would have is would be it's kind of Vandy so yeah I know but also again I, I went back and looked at Vanderbilt's offenses the past couple of years and usually their one bright spot is they have at least one running back that they just kind of shove into the offensive line yeah 150 to 250 times a year Oh, who can man. get you a lot of options. Uh, two years back, they had that really great one. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn, great running back. But um, I will say, I mean, years of uh, time has passed, and this past year, their O-line has not looked the greatest to mm-hmm. where I think, t- uh, you know, top-tier teams just look forward to playing Vandy because they're just like, I'm going to stat pad. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, Again, I have my detractors written down. Literally, first one is... It's Vanderbilt. Yeah. Uh, the second one is the fact that uh, there's a couple camp notes that Javion Marlowe, who was the number two running back last year, is pushing for that starting job. Uh, there is a legit competition to take over for that starting job this upcoming season. So he is also another potential breakout here. I could probably have him on the sleepers. I think both of them should be kind of right next to each other in terms of wherever your ranking is. So, Yeah. Because either one of them could break out and become the number one running back. But I went with Raymond Davis because, again, I follow him on Twitter. He's a great guy. I, I believe in him. Also, I've seen him, I've seen him do it at Temple. And I think he could easily do it for a Power 5 team in Vanderbilt. So we'll go ahead and move on to your third sleeper. 
all yours. Yeah, so uh, I chose Devin Williams. Uh, what can I say about Devin Williams? Wide receiver out of Oregon. Yeah, wide receiver out of Oregon. Basically, I I, I looked I looked him up and I was like, well, Tyler Shuck is gone, and I, I was thinking about doing uh, Ty Thomas, the quarterback, coming in because uh, I understand that there's a QB battle between him and the current uh, QB there. His name eludes me as uh, Anthony Brown. Mm. But Devin Williams seems to be that next guy, uh, that next wide receiver at Oregon to where uh, a lot of people thought this past season or years before that it was going to be John Johnson or basically Johnny Johnson the third to break out and be that number one wide receiver at Oregon. But this past season, he really wasn't that. And their top guys, their two top guys are leaving for either uh, they're graduating and they're not coming back or either be, uh, going off eligible for the draft. So there are a lot of targets to be open. And Devon William, uh, Devin Williams had two 100-yard games this past season, had two touchdowns, 15 receptions, 286 yards. So he's averaging 19 yards per reception. Wow. I'm just like it, it, I'm just like if you're taking over. How tar- many receptions is that? Hmm? How many receptions was that based off? Of? Do you have, do you know off the top of your head? Fifteen receptions. Wow, that that that's a pretty decent size. So, do the guy has talent, and I I believe that he'll be Oregon's number one. Mm. Especially if you can establish I, I, a connection. A freshman they have coming in, but I it just it just seems like the he's a sophomore. He has a size. He's 6'5", 205 pounds. So, oh, yeah. So he definitely – and he's obviously showed it. It was in the UCLA game and the Oregon State game. Even uh, two close games, the UCLA, UCLA game, they obviously won. The Oregon State game, they obviously lost by and a nail-biter. But he definitely mm-hmm. has – yeah, the, the, the amount of talent this guy has and the amount of opportunities he should have this upcoming season because – Mario Cristobal is not just going to let Oregon, you know, fall by the wayside and let Arizona State and USC come up in the Pac-12 and he, you know, just regress. So mm-hmm. I believe that Devin Williams, uh, everybody's thinking that maybe C.J. Verdell and Oregon might run the ball a lot more. I- I'll say this about C.J. Verdell. I-, I feel like he he, al- he always like, you know, sells – he always sells you a good story in the beginning and be like, all right, he had – at towards the end of the season, he started playing well. And everybody's like, all right, maybe this will be the year he breaks out. And then there's games where he just doesn't do anything. So I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to fall for the trap this year, mm-hmm. but I have been wrong before about players. It doesn't seem like anybody else's either. As far as I can tell, I haven't seen anybody draft him in any of the mocks we've put up. Oh, somebody draft him in yours, you said? Yeah. Oh, it was okay. pretty late though, but I was okay. like, I'm not falling for that trap again. I, I've been wrong before where I, I thought a player mm-hmm. was just not good enough to take that next level or, you know, be any better after they're after seeing them for maybe a season or a season and a half, but they just explode and have a Heisman campaign. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah. Mr. Joe Burrow, doubter over there. Oh God, I'm not letting that one go. You I, reminded I, me of that. I, I legit thought I was like after seeing him at Ohio State, couldn't cut it out, and you couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins. You couldn't beat out. JT, you couldn't do anything. Then you get to LSU in your first season. It just wasn't, it wasn't great. So mm-hmm. I was like, I, what what made you think, like, what made you think that I would believe in you your second season at LSU? And to, to have the season that he had, I I ate crow the entire oh, yeah. season. I I was like, I was just wait. 
I felt so bad because I was one of those people just waiting for the downfall. I was like, there's no way he can keep this up. There's no way. And he nope. just keeps on doing it. And I, I just eventually had to come to terms. And I was like, Joe Burrow is going to be a great NFL quarterback. And it oh, looks yeah. like it will be. Hopefully he comes back completely healthy because dude has a high ceiling. Oh, yeah. Uh, to speak on Devin Williams a little bit more, we got a little sidetracked there, which is fine. Like I always love ribbing Xavier a little bit for his uh, dumb past mistakes. Uh, I'm sure he'll do it to me in the future as well. Uh, God knows I've said dumb things. Uh, yeah, Devin Williams, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, senior wide receiver definitely can establish himself as that wide receiver one on that offense. Uh, Ty Thompson, of course, I think if he's the starting quarterback, you're going to see an even higher ce- ceiling for somebody like Devin Williams. Uh, a couple other, uh, there's a couple of, um, you're, you were right to kind of mention there's a couple of freshmen coming in that I think that people do need to keep their eye on. Uh, Troy Franklin is one of them. I can't remember the other one off the top of my head, but there's a couple of four-star wide receivers they got coming in who I think could easily establish a good connection there. So might be a little worrisome for Devin Williams there, but overall I think you're right to kind of point at, point at Devin Williams and say this could be a guy to establish as a wide receiver one on a great offense. So, you got nothing else to say? I'll go ahead and move on to my fourth guy. Okay. Sounds good. So, I went gutsy here. So, I had two wide receivers and one running back. I'm going two tight ends to finish out here. Um, tight ends deep this year. Like, I really am shocked by just the great value you can still get at tight end. And there's a couple here that I do want to point out that I'm surprised I haven't seen anybody go after. Um, actually, the second guy I'll talk about here in a second, I did actually see he went in one of the drafts. Um, so I'm breaking my rules a little bit here. But Kate Otten, I'm not seeing go into any drafts here, and I want to point out why I think that's kind of crazy. So he played in four games last year. He had 18 receptions for 258 yards. Uh, three touchdowns, and was averaged for 14.3 yards uh, per reception. And again, doesn't sound like much until you realize that he was the number one receiver on Washington's offense last year. Which is crazy. It To me, like you never see that a tight end be that number one receiver on an offense. Like Maybe if you have Kyle Pitts or something like that. But even, even Kyle Pitts, I don't think if the full if even if he went the full year was still be that number one number one target i actually now i'm thinking about it iowa a couple years ago with uh tj hawkinson and uh uh noah fan probably had um wide receiver probably had you know what that's probably not much of a point but so it's crazy you don't see that very often and those two those two tight ends were high fantasy value oh yeah but even so uh Along with him being the number one wide receiver, um, Washington's seen four wide receivers transfer this offseason, including, we mentioned earlier, Puka Nakua, who is their number two target, and then Ty Jones, who is their number three target, and then Marquis Spiker and Austin Bourne, two four-star receivers from this past year. They didn't see the field much, but they're now gone, so that upside's gone. It's like... You're, you're talking about somebody who not only was already the number one receiver, but is now probably the biggest veteran in terms of the receiving core that team has. And we're not talking about like Oregon State here. We're not talking about, we're not talking about like some CUSA, 
CUSA team. We're talking about Washington, who was supposed to uh, play for the Pac-12 championship last year and went to the playoffs four years ago. Like, you're talking about a team that they're not just some speck on the map. Like, you're talking about a legit team. And all of a sudden, Kate Otten's kind of the last man standing in terms of receiving uh, receiving uh, veteranship on that team. So I don't understand why people aren't like taking a shot on this guy. Like if he's, the, if he's this big, if, if again, he, if he's clearly that number one guy coming back, I'm just shocked that people aren't taking a shot on him. So yeah. What are your thoughts, Saber? I would only question, cause um, I was hearing some things about uh, is, is, is Washington in the midst of a QB battle or did they lose their QB to uh, LG? So, um qb battle is i would okay so uh what's his name from this past year uh dylan morris that dylan morris was the starting qb at washington this past year he is still like he's still on campus patrick o'brien is a starting quarterback from colorado state who transferred into washington and then washington also has sam heward a five-star quarterback coming in um, as a freshman. And the expectation is that Sam Hewer definitely will push Dylan Morris for that starting job. And so, yeah. So I think that's the quarterback battle that you are kind of talking about there. So. Um, yeah, because I'm looking at Dylan Morris. He threw four touchdowns and three interceptions and played four games, if I'm not mistaken. Like yes, said. sir. So. Which three interceptions in four games is not the greatest. So if you do have that five star coming in, that's gonna push him to be a little bit better, or that five star takes over, and that's mm-hmm. great. But if Otten's the number one, like your number one option, and well, you now, I mean, well, I mean, you said it earlier in the podcast. Um, new quarterback, tight ends your best friend. You're, you're not wrong, and I mean it's. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at it now to where Wash, uh, Washington. It wasn't that many like more receptions. It was just like he had 18 receptions. The next highest was like nine, so he mm-hmm. just doubled that. But everybody else, it just felt like they were just running the ball more often. That's, that's what it definitely what it was. They ran the ball more often than they passed. But mm-hmm. for him to be the number one receiver, if that's the only time you're really passing is to the tight end, that's a lot of high value there. So I don't. I, I like the pick that you made for definitely a sleeper, definitely a tight end. I definitely want to put on my board as well now, just in case that if I'm in one of those drafts and I'm like, man, if I feel like I could wait on a tight end, especially for like somebody like a K dot. And if I, if I really believe in his upside, if I buy into the hype and he pans mm-hmm. out, that's a good guy to where I would say you could take a play. Like if you're, if you're on a tight end turn and you're just like, maybe I'm not ready to just jump on the bandwagon of the turn. I want to get mm-hmm. another running back, or maybe I want to get another wide receiver that will probably be gone the next round. I could wait on a Kate Otten for a last pick or a second to last pick. I got you. So, I definitely got you. Tight ends are deep this year. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's probably part of the reason. I imagine in most other years, Kate Otten would absolutely be on people's radar. It's just, you're right. Tight ends so deep this year. Like, I've never had a list as long as I do this year in terms of tight ends I would legitimately like having on my team. And I'm not a tight end guy. Yeah. For the most part. Except for this year. This year I like them. Because they're actually fun to research this year. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, 
We'll go ahead and move on to your fourth guy. I'll let you take over. There we go. Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. Uh, I feel like we're in a little, another little Vanderbilt situation because it's Syracuse. Syracuse is not the greatest team in the world, especially in the ACC. Especially in that uh, except game. when they play Clemson for some reason. Yeah, except when they play Clemson, they just find a way. Uh, it's something to do with the orange. It's just the class of orange, <laughs> orange, uh, orange color. But Sean Tucker uh, is a great serviceable running back. I will say this. I, I think only He's a wide receiver. Or no, no, you're right. You're right. My bad. My bad. My bad. You're right. I got I got you two guys confused. My bad. Yeah, Sean Tucker uh, definitely. When he gets over twenty, uh, when he gets over twenty carries a game, he's definitely a serviceable back to where he'll get you hundred yards and a touchdown or two. But anytime he gets under, that's that's when things start to get a little bit sketchy. To mm-hmm. where you're just like, ah, maybe I I wouldn't draft him. But I'm like, if you're just in desperate need at the end of a draft, I think Sean Tucker is probably your next bet best bet in terms of if everybody's just off the board and you need something because. He had over 600 yards this past season and four touchdowns, which is not that great. But considering that he is just a freshman, and oh, did not I, would, that. I would hope and expect it can only go better from here. So, And he's taking a lot of the attempts because he had over 137 as a freshman. So, All right. Syracuse is not, you know, the greatest team in terms of, like, they'll, they'll find quarterbacks where they have Cole Pepper and then they have the other guy in there, and they'll find – uh, they'll have their number one receiver, which hint, hint, may be on this list. But uh, Sean Tucker is basically their safety net. So where when things can't get going, they just give him the ball and let him run and yeah, in the okay. ball and running. He's just he's just getting picking up yards. There are a few bad games that I've seen, but for the most part, he had three he had three one hundred yard games, and all those games, well. All but one game, he didn't score, but still, that's still a serviceable amount of points, and I can only oh, yeah. expect better. Yeah, and one other thing I do want to point out here is with Syracuse, they just got Garrett Schrader, a transfer from Mississippi State. You'll you probably remember him from uh, when he uh, turned into a helicopter at the end of one of the games. Uh, he transferred. Right. He's transferred over to Syracuse, and uh, he was injured last year. That's why he couldn't play. Um. However, he's expected to push Tommy DeVito for that starting quarterback job. And if you know anything about Garrett Schrader, the guy can use his legs. And if they, if Syracuse can find a way to utilize his running ability, I think it can absolutely open up some more running lanes for Sean Tucker. If you have kind of those uh, pass off options where the defense has to look, is Schrader going to run the ball or is Tucker going to run the ball? And obviously they can't probably cover both of those guys at once. So I think that's another good I, – I, yeah. And the fact, again, you mentioned he's a freshman, I think that just points to the upside that could happen with this team. And, like, we were joking about Syracuse, like, having a rough past couple of years and everything, but it wasn't long ago they were playing um, West Virginia in the Alamo Bowl after, like, a nine-win season. Like, they weren't a bad team not too long ago. So, clearly, like, the co- there's a coaching staff there that can absolutely, when they get things clicking – can get an offense going, can get a defense going enough to where they can win lots of games. And if you're winning lots of games, you're more than likely running the ball well. And so Sean Tucker, there he is. Yeah, so. three more years of him, hopefully. And then if uh, get, uh, barring that he doesn't explode and become a Heisman candidate or first round, first round pick, then I'm just going to claim and be like, I, I would I, say, I, yeah. 
I was the first. I, I would say everybody else. that's why we're recording this. Like we have your face right there and everything. Yeah. You talking about it. This is all you, man. So yeah, uh, that that was a very interesting pick. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that one kind of my attention. I hadn't really heard of Sean Tucker too much before you um, kind of added him to my list. I looked him up a little bit before this and provided very good um, provided very good reason for me to want to possibly draft him as a sleeper in future league or in future mocks. So we'll go with my fifth guy, fifth and last. One with another tight end here. And this guy was drafted in the fourth mock that was recently released by Mike Bainbridge. But I still want to talk about him. And that's Derek D. My bad, give me one second. I just knocked over my entire microphone. All right, we're good. Um, We're going to talk about Derek D. here. And so last year, he played in eight games, had 20 receptions. 240 yards and five touchdowns um which doesn't sound like a lot especially for playing eight games because you're looking at that that's like two and a half receptions per game so like you're not talking about a huge volume guy however 58 percent of his targets came between 10 and 20 yards down the field so clearly when he is getting those receptions he's getting a good amount of yardage along with them most of those targets coming directly over the middle pretty much um last year he was the third most targeted um receiver on his team and those the two ahead of him trey walker and bailey gaither are both off to the nfl or graduating so now you have Derek these coming in as the number one receiver well he's a tight end but like the guy with the most receptions coming in this past year now granted unless you're washington for some reason you're more than likely not gonna have a tight end become your number one receiving option now you could in which case, Derek Deese is probably tight end one next year because Nick Starkel worked wonders for San Jose State last year. They went and won the Mountain West because of him. And so, yeah, if, if Derek Deese takes on even larger of a role this upcoming year and is able to establish a good connection with Nick Starkel, I think you're looking at a option that can easily provide you Week to week, um, week to week value for you and your fantasy. Again, kind of the only detractors I'm looking at here is just other wide receivers breaking out, like Isaiah Hamilton and stuff like that. So, what are your kind of thoughts here? Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you. I, I I feel bad now because I I thought when I looked at Nick Starkel's profile, I was like, he's a senior, probably not coming back. I should have did more research, but apparently he is coming back. He is coming back. Another sleeper, and I guess that. That QB connection with him and Derek Deese Jr. would be great because I feel like Starkel has solidified himself definitely as a serviceable quarterback and put up a lot of big numbers. There are some games where he is, you know, not the greatest, but for the most part, they won the Mountain West and Derek Deese and with all the receivers gone, I would expect him at least not per se to run it back because they are losing a lot, but, you know, to sort of kind of replicate what they did this past year and with Derek Deese at the, maybe not leading the helm, but definitely in that rotation of one of the top, uh, top three and leaders in the reception on that team. So, Oh yeah. And again, I'm, I, I go back to that. The fact that almost 60% of his targets came greater than 10 yards down the field. Like you're not talking about a guy that was just a dump off option. Like you're looking, you're talking about a guy that Starkel was looking for down the field. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, 
You're right. I I probably should have thought about Nick Sarkel as probably a sleeper on this list and everything because I'm I'm shocked that he's not going in more leagues because he clearly found a home at San Jose State. It didn't work out for him at Arkansas, which you know nothing was working out with Chad Morris there. But like uh, I'm glad he found a home and again clearly found some people that he can find a connection with. And I think Derek Deese can absolutely be one of those guys next year. So we'll go ahead and move on to your final sleeper. Take it away. Taj Harrison. We're going back to the orange of Syracuse. I'm just going to say it straight. He's the only one getting receptions on this team. <laughs> That's it. It's just him. He led the team with 58 receptions. and got 773 yards. I'm, what, what was the number two? Like how, number how many receptions? Oh, dear God. It was, it was actually 37, so it wasn't that. Okay. But... After that, it's just a big drop off. Mm-hmm. Who's the number two? Uh, the number two is Anthony Queeley, the sophomore. I haven't heard of that one. Interesting. But Taj Harrison's long was 79 yards. He had doubled everybody. He, the next two receivers, he still beat out in number of yards by adding the, their uh, receiving yards together. So it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He's obviously that number one option. There's, there's not, that's not even a debate. And he had five touchdowns, which, which isn't a lot considering the amount of games they played. But in a PPR league, he he's yeah he's he's gonna be he definitely deserves an honorable mention, and definitely a sleeper in a draft, especially for PPR because he's getting an average of probably like five to, through seven receptions a game, which is not unheard of for a receiver, but like. Sometimes you see receivers with like maybe five uh, or six receptions for a hundred yards. This dude is averaging that. So that's all I really have to say about Taj here. It's, it's yeah. uh, like you said, uh, quarterback uh, DeVito, he's going to be battling out with uh, transfer QB. Um, Garrett Schrader. Garrett Schrader. So we'll see how that works out. But I, I don't see his production going down because they need a reliable uh, option. And he has the build for it. Maybe a little bit undersized weight-wise, but height. He, he's he's that tall, long option. Oh, yeah. And uh, we kind of mentioned it with uh, Sean Tucker where if the game script is in favor of Syracuse where they are winning and they're running the ball more and everything, uh, you'll see a high upside from Sean Tucker. However, if the game script's against them and they're losing the game, they're likely going to be passing more in order to catch up. And in which case, obviously, you, you're kind of mentioning Taj Harris becomes that number one option clearly the guy that they kind of go to for if they if they need yards they're going to go to him yeah so can't get really go wrong with either one of those guys as long as the game scripts in your favor yeah so yeah so those are our uh 10 sleepers that we kind of wanted to talk about there uh i'll kind of mention a few more uh, here we're not gonna really go in depth here on any of these guys, but a few more that I did want to just kind of throw out there. I thought would be interesting to talk about, but didn't quite make my list. Uh, quarterback Skylar Thompson out of Kansas State. If he can stay healthy, I think he'll be amazing. Uh, Jack Plummer out of Purdue. If he's the starting quarterback, or Adrian O'Connell. I can't really figure out which one of them is going to be the starting quarterback this year. Uh, Frank Harris. Quarterback at UTSA, um, if he can be more consistent, he would be the best fantasy option we could ever have. Uh, running backs, I wanted to mention uh, Marquez Cooper 
running back at Kent State. This is a fantastic offense. Uh, Noah Kane out of uh, Penn State. However, I've seen him go in some drafts recently, so I couldn't really include him here. Wide receivers, uh, Jason Brownlee from Southern Mississippi, Jack Sorensen out of Miami, Ohio, and then Kyron Lacey out of Louisiana uh, Lafayette are some of the sleepers that I wanted to talk about, but they just didn't quite make my list here. Yeah. So, is there you got any that you kind of want to talk about that you just want to mention real quick? I'll give I'll give some uh, shout outs to some freshmen that may pop off this year. Donovan okay. Edwards was drafted in my uh, my draft, but definitely in a, a lot of other drafts I didn't see him go um, get drafted at all. And with Michigan losing a lot of their running back room to transfers or just you know losing eligibility and. From what I'm hearing out of camp, Donovan Edwards could be the next great Michigan back. So if he gets the production, which Michigan's, you know, Michigan, we 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 all know what uh, Harbaugh is going to do with Michigan. It's it's not to be expected anything much, but if Donovan Edwards can get that production and get a lot of yards and a lot of carries and touchdowns, then that's all we're caring about. I don't care about if Michigan wins or loses as long as Donovan Edwards is eating, which it sounds like he's probably will be soon. Sounds good. And did you want to mention something about him as well? Uh, no, I think you kind of mentioned everything you needed to about Donovan Edwards there. And then I was going to go with, um, I guess, one of the Alabama wide receivers, one of their <sighs> mini riches that they get to have. Uh, I was going to uh, highlight uh, Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, I've heard great things about him. Um, I don't know what to expect, but it's Alabama. Eventually, he's probably going to make his way up the depth chart and – I mean, way. yeah. If you're right in a, if you're in a Debbie league, you have to get in. And um, Slade Bolden. So, but you never know. It's always that one freshman wide receiver that you just like. You just never see coming. And then they just break out, and there you have another Devonte Smith. Yep. So yeah, those are kind of our sleep, our our sleep, our initial sleepers and everything. I'm sure we'll probably revisit this topic as the uh, season goes on. ADP changes. Uh, you have different people get involved with different mock drafts and everything. Uh, maybe us putting out this video causes a lot of these guys ADP to jump up and get drafted. So now we got to look at new sleepers. And so, yeah, uh, we're definitely going to visit this topic in the future. And we thank you all for listening. We're about an hour and 45 minutes here. Uh, we went long again, but honestly, I have such a good time with this. And Xavier, I imagine, has a good time just talking about this kind of stuff. And if you guys are still here, obviously you clearly love just listening, talking about this kind of stuff. We appreciate y'all doing all that. Uh, make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you like, subscribe, doing all that sort of stuff that makes us heard. Make sure, make sure that YouTube is recommending us to different people. If you're on Spotify, uh, appreciate you listening throughout the whole thing. If you're on Apple Podcasts, again, I mentioned at the top of the show, leave five star or leave whatever review you want. But if you want to have your question answered on a future show possibly the best way to do that is to leave a uh, review on apple Podcasts. it's the best way to get us recommended there um, i'm trying to think yeah, we'll answer yeah i would say and future shows are answered immediately but either way exactly. yeah follow us on twitter again you got both of our twitters right down there um i am i'm probably the more active out of the two of us on twitter in terms of responses but uh, you get a spicy, you get you get a spicy enough question. Xavier will answer you. Oh yeah, I'll answer you in ten to fifteen minutes. So, um, 
trying to think anything else to add here uh we haven't quite decided on a topic for the next round of shows but i'm sure i'll be putting out hints and stuff like that on twitter as to what we'll be talking about but yeah with all that thank you guys so much for listening uh we'll try to be back again next week with another episode and we'll see you guys then have a wonderful day y'all have a good one guys